Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 49ers Plus podcast, home to the most objective 49ers insight and commentary. I'm your host, Al Moriello, and today we will be discussing Trey Lance. Got a glimpse of him working out, coming off of that ankle injury. ESPN ranking the 49ers roster by position. I'm going to go back and grade the 2021 draft, the draft that Trey Lance came out of. We're going to be talking about kickers the 49ers worked out. We are going to be projecting who the 49ers, what positions they may take with their four seventh-round picks, discuss some notable seventh-round picks of the past 10 years, and then conclude, I pushed this up from the plus section because it is timely, Star Wars Celebration was had over the weekend in London, and three new movies, in addition to some TV shows, were announced that I want to share with you all. But it always starts with the Niners, so let's get right into it. Let's talk Niners! So towards the end of last week, Trey Lance was spotted working out with Patrick Mahomes. Now, this is really important only for the reason that he's been cleared um, in the recovery from his ankle surgery. The Twitter video that a lot of us saw was only one throw for Trey Lance and one throw for Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't done side by side. It wasn't a comparison. It's just the fact that Trey Lance and others, and I'm not sure who the others are, were working out together, throwing the football. A lot was made on Twitter, sadly, about One throw that Lance made, and people are dissecting his delivery, and that's when the side-by-side was put up of, wow, Trey Lance's delivery seems to be a lot more compact, quicker than it was last year, and folks had uh, a video, a side-by-side video from the Mahomes workout and training camp last year, might have been OTAs or minicamp, of Lance throwing and how the ball's coming out as a tighter spiral, and this, that, and the other thing. One throw, guys. One throw. I know you're grasping at straws for stuff to talk about and generate clicks and engagement on Twitter and wherever else, you know, on social media, people discuss things. It was one throw in shorts and a t-shirt, no pads, no helmet, no rush, no live bullets, anything. He did throw a tight spiral. Then again, if I throw 20 passes in my backyard and film them all, I could post the one that has the tightest spiral and people will be wondering why, even though I'm in my 40s and I'm only 5'10", why I didn't play quarterback at, you know, a D3 level. Although I was uh, a flag football quarterback for many years and wound up winning 13 or 14 championships. So, you know, there is that. That, that might be a reason why I can why I can throw a pretty tight spiral. But looking for things to examine, again, the dry period, right? We are, what, 17 days away from the first round of the draft, which doesn't matter for San Francisco because they don't have a pick. It'll be 18 days before they can make a pick. That'll be the end of round three. And we're going to get there. We'll get there two Mondays from now. I'm going to work backwards going from the seventh round up to the third in two weeks and talk about who they might be taking and looking at their drafts from the past, 
Well, I, I broke down the 2022 draft a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be breaking down the 2021 draft today, but just to put a bow on this Trey Lance stuff. Now, good for him that he's out there practicing. This kid seems to be dedicated to his craft. Coming off the injury, based on what I've read, the interviews and the videos I've seen, this kid has a good head on his shoulders. He's faith-driven. That doesn't mean he's going to be a good quarterback. That, you know, he believes, anybody that believes in any sort of God or whatever your religious bend is, doesn't guarantee anything other than having that spirituality and belief in something and that additional power, internal inner power that you can you can draw from. And he just seems like a really level-headed kid. So I'm glad he was out there. I'm glad he was out there with the best quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes. Now, that doesn't mean that they were he was working with Patrick Mahomes' quarterback coach, or I'm not even sure. There, were, there weren't a lot of details around what this was. But it was good to see him moving, getting the green light, throwing, and doing this recreationally or on his own time and not waiting for 49ers organized team activities to start, which will be a couple days after the draft, I believe, is when when they will kick off. Now, before I go into grading the 2021 draft, since we've had two full seasons to look at it, I did want to share ESPN wound up ranking the 49ers roster by position. And it was somewhat surprising given this team was a final four team in the NFL and by many was considered a top three roster, top three team and, th- and top three roster in the NFL. So let's let's go down. And, and this is ESPN using advanced analytics and weighted averages, meaning some positions are weighted more than others to break down every team in the league per position. So four quarterback out of 32 teams, the 49ers ranked 24th, and that is more than a quarter of the total grade. That counts as 28% of the total grade. So this is going to be the position that brings the grade or the ranking down, and it's solely based on uncertainty. Uncertainty that Brock Purdy will be ready for week one. Again, I don't think he will be. I think he will be either on the pup list, physically unable to perform, or just on the active roster, but inactive. Because you still need, you can only play, I believe it's 45 players on game day, so you have to have eight inactives. Instead of putting him on the pup list and then bringing up, bringing up a player to fill his roster spot and then having to release that player when Brock comes back, maybe it's just worth keeping Brock on the active roster. And if he's ready week two, week three, week four, at least maybe you have a little bit more leeway versus saying he cannot play until week five at the earliest. But the uncertainty of Purdy, the uncertainty of Lance, again, this is a player that has started three games and a drive in his NFL career and had one full year of college football at a lower level at North Dakota State. Folks don't know what he's going to be. You can't automatically say, well, it's a Kyle Shanahan system, so so Trey Lance should perform the way that Brock Purdy performed and Purdy performed well, Garoppolo performed well. Yes, But then you had three quarterbacks that didn't, which was Brian Hoyer, Nick Mullins, 
and C.J. Beathard. So this is not an offense that you can plug any player in and get the type of highly efficient production that the 49ers did get from Jimmy. Sorry, Jimmy haters. He was a very efficient quarterback. And his numbers were, were almost identical to Purdy's given the number that each number of games each player, each quarterback played. And Lance, if he has that running element and could be 80 85% of Brock or Jimmy from a throwing perspective, then they'll be right there again. A, a 10, 11, 12 win team fighting to win the NFC West and to go deep in the playoffs. But uncertainty has them ranked the 24th quarterback unit in the NFL. Running back, some good news. They're ranked first, but it's only 3% of the overall grade that ESPN allowed it because running backs aren't as, it's a passing league now, right? It's not as important of a position. It's because of how efficient and dynamic McCaffrey is. Elijah Mitchell went healthy. Jordan Mason showed some stuff and Ty Davis Price. Who knows? And of course, the, one, of, one of, if not the best fullback in the league, Kyle Juszczyk. So I agree with that ranking. Wide receiver 11th. And this counts 11% of the overall grade. Brandon Ayuk, I've said before, is the de facto number one wide receiver on the team. But Debo may be the number one weapon. And again, these are two different things. Behind them, you have Juwan Jennings still hasn't signed his exclusive rights franchise tender yet. Ray Ray McLeod and Danny Gray. And maybe there's a draft pick that pushes either McLeod or Gray this year. They're in the top third of the NFL ranked as 11th. I think that's fair. Tight end, they're ranked third. Again, only 4% of the total grade. This is all based on George Kittle. You have Russ Dwelly coming back. You have Charlie Werner coming back. You have a draft pick, if not two, coming in. But George Kittle, right up there, obviously, with Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews of Baltimore as your top three tight ends in the league in this position ranking third fits. Offensive line is ranked 30th. This was curious because of how dominant Trent Williams is at left tackle and is by many considered the number one or a top three, forget tackle, but offensive lineman in the league. You got a good year out of Jake Brendel at center. You got a, an above average year out of Aaron Banks at left guard. Then the issues are, are coming in on the right-hand side. Can Spencer Burford lock down the right guard position? If not, we do have some competition from John Feliciano. And can Colton McKivitz lock down the right tackle position, although there is competition in the form of Matt Pryor, who was recently brought in, and there will be a rookie. I would bet a whole lot of money on it coming in in the draft. 30th seems low. I think even with uncertainty on the right-hand side, I think this should be a low or a high 20s offensive line. And then, or low teens, and then when things solidify, if you can get eighty to ninety percent of Mike McGlinchey's production from Colton McKivitz, this is a this is a top fifteen, top twenty line in the league, and I'd probably even lean higher, top twelve to fifteen. Again, uncertainty bringing the line down, bringing the quarterback position down. Defensive tackle second accounts for eight percent of the overall grade. Javon Hargrave, a lot to do with that, or the most to do with that followed behind him by Eric Armstead. Should be a very good defensive tackle duo. And then behind them, if Javon Kinlaw can get that knee healthy in a rotational role, maybe in the 20 to 30 snaps per game, 
could help out along with Kevin Givens, Kalia Davis, T.Y. McGill, whoever else they bring in. I do think there's going to be a draft pick to at least challenge T.Y. McGill. Defensive end 17th, 9% of the overall grade. Well, you may say, hey, 17th, that's the bottom half of the league at the top end of the bottom half of the league. And you have the defensive player in the year in Nick Bosa. I agree. Uncertainty again, right? Losing Samson Ebucom, losing Charles Amenahu, losing Kerry Hyder. Not exactly knowing what Drake Jackson is going to be in his second year. He he did hit the rookie wall toward the end of the first of his first year, missed the last two regular season games and all playoff games. Cleveland Farrell, number four overall draft pick or five uh, the year that Bosa came out. What is he going to be? What is Austin Bryant going to be? And who else are they going to bring in? So if it's just based on who your best edge rusher is, they're a top three. This is a top three defensive end group. But as a team, I think 17 right now, other than Bosa, nobody's proven. They didn't bring in Frank Clark from the Chiefs or in Dockway to come in as the legitimate number two DN. And that's a month, that's a financial issue because they're only less than $3 million under the cap right now. So that's fair. And they're in a crap load of trouble if Nick Bosa gets hurt. So let's hope for that to not happen. Linebackers. I knew this going into it. The, the number one ranked linebacker group counts six and a half percent of the overall grade. It's Warner. It's Greenlaw. And then after that, it's Oren Burks. Demetrius Flanagan fouls, and then if it's McCrary Ball or Curtis Robinson or a rookie that's going to come in, 6.5% of the, the overall grade. I don't, I don't think there will be many out there that's going to dispute that the 49ers have the best linebacking core in the NFL. Cornerbacks, 24th, 10.5% of the overall grade. So I think, again, the uncertainty of wanting to see more from Diamador Lenore, he played about two-thirds to three-quarters of the season. After Emmanuel Mosley got hurt, Traverius Ward had a great year. Jimmy Ward is gone as the slot corner. So now you're projecting how is Isaiah Oliver going to fill that? And then behind them is Samuel Womack. Can he be counted on for starting duty at slot or outside if somebody gets hurt? Ambry Thomas has been a disappointment. They're probably going to bring in a draft pick. So I think 24th is low, but again, the consistency other than Charvarius Ward is, is not there. Safety's ninth. Saying that they're a top 10 safety group, I think, is fair. 8% of the overall grade. Tayshawn Gibson is back. Talanoa Hufunga is back. George Odom is back. They brought in Miles Hartsfield. Um, so they have four safeties, and I think they're going to draft another, a free safety to be the heir apparent to Tayshawn Gibson. I'm okay with that ninth ranking. Overall, the... The actually, let me go back to see if there's an overall offensive and, and defensive ranking. Uh, not that I am seeing, but I can see in the, in the table overall, the 49ers offense ranks 22nd, which feel again, uncertainty, but feels really low defensively. They rank third. Okay. You know, we'll see what Steve Wilkes as the new coordinator can bring to this unit and overall saying their roster is the 16th best roster in the league that I have a problem with even with uncertainty at quarterback I think outside of Sam Darnold if it's 
Purdy, if it's Lance, I think you're still going to get at least 80% of the production that you got last year. And I think the same thing at tackle, getting 75 to maybe 80, 85% of what Mike McGlinchey gave you. And the secondary is the same. This is a, this is a top five roster, guys. If you don't want me to be a homer, a top seven or eight roster. Easily top 10 should not be the 16th ranked roster in the NFL. These are analytics. You're, you're putting the, the players, the positions, the uncertainty through different variables. And that's what you get. And that's just what I wanted to share with everyone. So now moving on, went back to grade the 2021 draft. This is the Trey Lance trade, right? This is the Trey Lance draft. And he was the fir uh, first round pick, number three overall, traded two future, uh, two future firsts and the first round pick from 2021 and a third round pick to get him. We know the story, did not play his rookie year, was not ready, would never have beaten Jimmy Garoppolo out unless Garoppolo broke his arm in training camp. Played a game in a quarter last year. The return on investment is not there yet. They do have him under contract this year, next year at a reasonable price, and if they decide to pick up his fifth-year option, it'll be about $20 million dollars. But we are not close to there yet. So for me, the grade, I'm not going to give him an incomplete. I'm not going to give him an F or a D because the injury is not his fault. It's a C. They gave up a lot to get him. I think we've seen some of the promise in the games that he's played. It's a C. It, it's the injuries. I cannot count a broken ankle against him. I cannot count the fact that he didn't play as a rookie because he only had one year of college football starting experience. And this was a long play. Shanahan and Lynch knew they had Jimmy that first year. That was always the plan. No matter what you read or what your opinion may be, guys, that was always the plan. Lance was always going to be sit unless something catastrophic happened. So a C for Trey Lance. Second round pick was guard Aaron Banks. Did not play his rookie year. Had to reshape his body the whole year, or there was just a better option at left guard, and it was Lakin Tomlinson. But reshaped his body, worked hard in 2021, had a very good, a really above average 2022, started every game. I'm going to give that a B. Could have been higher if he made an instant impact as a rookie, but you can understand with uh, Tomlinson, you know, being there, it wasn't going to happen. So Banks, a B grade. Trey Sermon, their first third round pick running back out of Ohio State. Showed well in one game. I don't know if it was against the Seahawks or the Rams at home. Didn't do much. Otherwise, the 49ers were trying to trade him. They were trying to trade him to the Eagles. I don't know why they just didn't take a seventh round pick. They released Sermon before the beginning of last season. Eagles picked him up. That is an F. Ambry Thomas at cornerback. Second, third round pick that year. Showed some, you know, his, his rookie year didn't play a whole lot, had to get stronger. He took the 2020 season off at Michigan. It was the COVID year for him, wanted to prepare for playing in the NFL, had to get stronger, came on toward the end of last season. And his biggest play was a big one last week of the season at the Rams. Niners needed to get in to get into the playoffs, intercepted a Matthew Stafford pass intended for Odell Beckham in overtime to seal the win, but otherwise, it's been a D. Could not beat out Diamador Lenore, could not beat out Samuel Womack for even the backup slot job. 
it's a D right now, and he might get pushed off the roster based on what San Francisco does in the draft. Jalen Moore, a fifth, their first fifth round pick, had some tackle and guard experience at Western Michigan, I believe, came in, did not fare that well playing uh, left tackle in spot duty of Trent Williams. Colton McKibbitts had to come in and really just put Jalen Moore back on the bench. A utility piece, a backup, probably has more guard ability than tackle. For a fifth-round pick, a depth signing or a depth draft pick, a C-plus. Second fifth-round pick, Diamador Lenore. So rookie season was, was a little bit rough, did not get a lot of playing time. Last season, thought he might start at slot, didn't. Jimmy Ward, you know, once he came back from his hamstring injury in the preseason, started at slot. Lenore back up on the outside. Mosley gets hurt. I think he had, he had a really he had a good season. Let's I think it might have been like a 10 or 12 game stretch plus playoffs for a fifth round pick when you can find now it was a starter by happenstance, right? Because Mosley got hurt. Now, if Mosley didn't get hurt, I don't know how they would view Diamondor Lenore because they weren't going to re they didn't resign Mosley coming off of a torn ACL. They weren't going to resign him if he was healthy. It would have been way too much money. So I don't know if they would have gone into 2023 this season feeling as good about their cornerback tandem, Traverius Ward and Diamondor Lenore, if Lenore didn't play those 10, 12 plus games. But he did. He showed well, gave it a B plus grade. Talanoa Hufunga, the last fifth round pick. Safety. I guess technically um, strong safety did not play a whole lot as a rookie last year came on really strong. The first half of the season four interceptions, a fumble recovery, uh, then tailed off the last half of the season, regardless first team, all pro at safety pro bowler at safety. He gives up as many big plays as he makes. And I think as long as he can, as D'Amico Ryans, when he was the defensive coordinator last year, said if Hufunga can clean up his eyes in the backfield, not go for fakes and clean up some angles, I think they have a dynamic playmaker to build around in the secondary. It's just going to come around to can they afford him? Because they got a lot of players, and especially Nick Bosa, Brandon Ayu coming up for some contract extensions. A minus. And their last pick was a sixth round pick running back Eli Mitchell. Really uh, good rookie season. One cut runner has some speed. Durability has been the issue for him. Made, I don't want to say he was made irrelevant after the Christian McCaffrey trade, but one of the reasons why that trade was done, well, one, if, if the, Lynch and Shanahan thought they had any chance of getting McCaffrey, you're going to go for it. The way that the, the Panthers were kind of bombing and, and looking to unload some pieces. But if Eli Mitchell was healthy and as dynamic as he was his rookie year, maybe they don't make the trade for McCaffrey. They probably still do, but it was also made due to necessity because Ty Davis Price wasn't the answer. Jordan Mason really didn't establish himself by that point. Mitchell was hurt. Jeff Wilson was on the roster. They wind up trading him once they bring McCaffrey. And so a lot went into it. I For a sixth round pick to get the production they've already gotten out of him and to be really, it's not a... It's not a one and one a with McCaffrey and, and Mitchell. It's a one, two punch because Mitchell is clearly the number two, but to get that type of production, even though the Shanahan's Kyle and Mike have seeming to get production out of any running back they've ever selected 
that's still a B plus selection to me. Now, overall, when you're waiting, Lance's C, Sermon's F, Ambry Thomas's D, Talano Hufunga's A minus. I think this was a C plus grade, uh, graded draft. Overall, the Sermon thing you can't do anything about. Ambry Thomas, if he bounces back this year, if he's still on the roster and shows something, if Lance actually regains a starting spot and, and shows some dynamic play, you know, this could this could bump up to maybe like a B type type of a grade or a B plus. But right now, from what we've seen, I think C plus is fair. So now as we get into the draft, we are uh, two and a half weeks away from the draft, which will be today and two more Mondays where I'll be talking about 49er stuff. The way I'm looking at it, San Francisco has 11 picks. They probably won't use all 11. I wouldn't be opposed to if they did. But they, to me, they have really eight potential open roster spots, meaning a draft pick that could come in and maybe bounce somebody off the roster that I think right now, if they had to suit up today, would be part of the 53-man roster. Offensive line, running back, I, I think still Ty Davis Price or Jordan Mason could be susceptible. They definitely need a tight end. They only have three on their roster right now. Linebacker, cornerback, again, that Ambry Thomas position, safety, and kicker to challenge Zane Gonzalez. Now, talking about kickers, the 49ers did work out three rookie kickers the past couple of weeks. Jake Moody out of Michigan, Chad Ryland out of Maryland, and Anderson Carlson out of Auburn. Anders Carlson is Daniel Carlson's younger brother, the current kicker for the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll see if they decide to draft a kicker. You know, when are kickers going to start going off the board? Do they use one of their three fifth round picks? Again, this is if they don't trade any picks early on. Could they use a sixth? Could they use one of their four sevenths? We'll see. We're two and a half weeks away. Now, some notable um, seventh round picks in the past 10 years that San Francisco has made, because I'm going to be going backwards, right, from their lowest picks to their highest each week, each Monday. So before Shanahan and Lynch got there in 2015, it was tackled Trent Brown, who played a few years for San Francisco, then was traded to New England, had some good years in New England, then was traded to the Raiders. I'm not even sure where he is now, but he's he, he did play for San Francisco, did start as a seventh-round tackle, impressive. 2017, Lynch and Shanahan's first year, safety Adrian Colbert out of Miami. Started about a dozen games his first two years and either fell out of favor or something happened and was released. He was with the Bears last year, but if you're getting 12 starts over two years out of a seventh-round pick, again, that's value. 2018, wide receiver Richie James spent time with the Giants last year. He is with the Chiefs now, but spent his all his whole four years, 18, 19, 20, and 21, Full four-year contract with the 49ers. Nothing in 2019, but in 2020, receiver uh, wide receiver Juwan Jennings was a seventh-round pick. And, of course, last year, quarterback Brock Purdy. So they have been able to find value and then value plus, especially with Purdy, in the seventh round. Who do I think the 49ers, or at least position-wise, in terms of who do I think, it's an exercise in futility especially when people are performing mock drafts with trades. What what do you like doing a mock draft anyway? It's a fun exercise. There's I think Pro Football Network, if you if you search NFL mock draft simulator, Pro Football Network is probably the best free one that you can use and it's a fun way to spend 10 or 15 minutes. You sit, you pick the team you want, how many rounds you want to do, and you get to play general manager, head coach and you get to draft 
each of your teams, um, however many draft picks they have, you can make trades if you want to. If teams propose a trade to you, you can take them up on it or counter. But doing a mock draft is just throwing darts at a dartboard. Projecting trades in a mock draft is even like you're throwing a dartboard that's moving on a car. And now, you know, figuring out who they would take in their four seventh round picks, there's no guarantee they're going to keep their four seventh round picks. They may trade one, two, three, all of them to move higher up in the draft. But if they keep all four, I think here are some positions that you can look at. I think these are like flyer positions. These may not be players that make the roster. Again, this is assuming they make all 11 selections. Offensive line, taking maybe a guard center or a guard tackle that maybe they can develop and put on their practice squad, I think is very doable. A linebacker, I wouldn't draft a linebacker with one of their three three third-round picks, maybe with a fifth, potentially with a sixth-round pick also because they do have one. But to get a fifth linebacker on the roster, you know, I think that's very logical. A receiver, I mean, they've taken Jennings in the seventh. They've taken Richie James in the seventh round. Their five receivers right now are set. So I can't imagine them spending one of the more the higher premium picks on a receiver because that means they're gonna you're gonna have to give up on somebody, whether it is Jennings or Danny Gray or Ray Ray McLeod. But again, a flyer on a seventh round pick, that's someone that they can maybe stash and develop on the practice squad. And then a kicker. Zane Gonzalez is on the team. He's counting a little less than two million dollars uh, against the salary cap, but if they release him, they lose nothing. And I don't even think they they would have to give the the Panthers a conditional pick if he's not on the team. So someone's, someone's going to come in and compete with Zane Gonzalez, whether they take a kicker in the seventh, the sixth or the fifth again, remains to be seen. So that concludes the 49ers section. Funny to say of the 49ers part of the podcast, the Monday section want to get into star Wars. I want to talk about star Wars for a little bit, whether it's 10 or 15 minutes, we'll see how long I go. Cause I can get on a star Wars soapbox very easily, but This past Friday, Saturday, and Easter Sunday was Star Wars Celebration in London, where in addition to releasing the trailer for the upcoming Ahsoka Disney Plus series, which is releasing in August, you could check that out on the, uh, on YouTube, on StarWars.com, I believe, I believe they have, um, the trailer that looks awesome. Super psyched for that. In addition to the two later upcoming shows, the acolyte, which takes place about a hundred years before the phantom menace and skeleton crew, which is about a group of young Jedi's kind of finding their way in the galaxy. They didn't really go into much more than that. And those last, I think the last two acolyte and skeleton crew are coming out in 2024. Maybe one of the shows comes out at the end of 2023, but I, I they haven't announced anything yet other than Ahsoka in August, the last two Acolyte and Skeleton crew, they showed the trailer at Star Wars Celebration, but they did not share that on their website. So you might be able to find something on YouTube or on the internet of someone who was there that filmed it with their phone. I haven't really searched that much. I've seen some stills and I've read descriptions of the trailer and I know what each show is about. So it sounds and looks interesting. The biggest news But take it with a grain of salt, because Star Wars has announced films before that have gone nowhere, is the fact that three movies were announced. The first is, well, in no particular order, but possibly the most exciting one is 
Daisy Ridley coming back to reprise her Ray Skywalker role in a movie set 15 years after Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. It is not called Episode 10 officially. I think this is smart because I don't think they want to get in. I think there's the potential for this to later on be called Episode 10. Remember, for anybody that's watched a Star Wars movie, Star Wars A New Hope, the original from 1977, was not called Episode 4 until 1979. Once they knew, I mean, they knew that they were doing Empire Strikes Back, I guess, in 1978. But once... A New Hope was re-released in 79. That's when the actual word, episode four, or phrase, I guess, was added to the opening crawl. I think Kathleen Kennedy, head of Lucasfilm, and others at Disney are hedging their bets just based on how, what the reception was to The Last Jedi, episode eight, Rise of Skywalker, episode nine, diminishing box office returns. So Lucasfilm is just going to wait and see, and there's nothing wrong with that, but a little bit more about the movie. I mentioned 15 years after the rise of Skywalker. And these are Kathleen Kennedy's uh, direct quotes about what it's going to be about. So we're post-war, post-First Order, and the Jedi are in disarray. Of course they are. There's a lot of discussion around who are the Jedi, what are they doing, what's the state of the galaxy. Rey is attempting to rebuild the Jedi Order based on the books, meaning the sacred Jedi texts that she got from Luke Skywalker in Episode 8, The Last Jedi, based on what she promised Luke, so that's where we're going. She doesn't, I don't know if we'll spend time with a lot of flashbacks or force ghosts involving Luke or Mark Hamill or things like that, but certainly the spirit of what Luke represents to her is going to be significant. And additionally, the question that we're going to ask with the new Jedi Order and Rey is, does the galaxy need the Jedi anymore? Do they want them back? So initially, I think the fan, there was a, some fan backlash, at least that I was reading online, of this is what the Luke Skywalker story should have been about. They're just making Rey be the overpowered savior of the Jedi. It should have been Luke, etc. So sour grapes aside... Yes, if George Lucas had decided to create an episode 7, 8, and 9, say in the 90s, instead of the sequel, tri- the prequel trilogy with, you know, little Anakin becoming Darth Vader, we could have gotten, I think, a very different episode 7, 8, and 9 because Mark Hamill would have been, I don't know at that time, what, maybe in his 40s? You still would have had youngish Mark Hamill um, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and other people to actually explore Luke creating Je- uh, his Jedi, um, bringing back the Jedi with, you know, Mark Hamill being in his 60s, Harrison Ford 70s, Carrie Fisher in her 60s, then unfortunately passing away. They were kind of, I think J.J. Abrams and others had to tell a different story, regardless of what happens or regardless of what this de facto episode 10 becomes excited to have, you know, Daisy Ridley back. And I think overall the opinion is good. And granted the rise of Skywalker is only four years old. There was a lot of, you know, negative anti-feminist people that did not like her as a character to begin with, did not like the fact that she was a Palpatine. I think that has cooled and rightfully so the gender who they're related to who they're related to i guess matters 
somewhat to the story, but the gender certainly doesn't. I think people have that people that weren't fans of Ray Skywalker, I think, have come around and become a fan of her and Daisy Ridley, the actress. So I, there was no release date given for this movie, but I'm guessing it's going to be the first of the three movies that are going to come out. And the next movie, again, in no particular order, the opposite end of the spectrum. They're going to do a Dawn of the Jedi movie, and director James Mangold will head, head this up. He directed the Logan movie about old man Wolverine. He also directed Ford versus Ferrari, that racing movie. And this is going to be set 25,000 years before the first Star Wars movie, meaning 1977's A New Hope. And it's going to talk about just that. How did the Force come into the galaxy, the Star Wars galaxy? Who were the first people that learned to tap into the Force, to manipulate it, to use it? How, how did this all come about? How did the Jedi come about? Now, there is a Legends novel called Dawn of the Jedi. Now, this Dawn of the Jedi movie is not called that. I just said that because I'm familiar with the Legends novel titled Dawn of the Jedi. And there are comic books. I think there's maybe two or three comic book series titled Dawn of the Jedi. And then there's some sort of a subtitle to it. I did not read the book. I will listen to it because I'm into audiobooks now. I think I might have read one of the comic book series of Dawn of the Jedi. I have to actually go back into my vast comic book library to see if I have it or still have it or ever had it. And if there's some good ideas in there, they should mine from it. And if there's not, then just do whatever the heck you want to do. But it doesn't hurt to see what was done before and if it was a good idea or not. 80% of the movie going public will not have read these comic books. Maybe even more. So you don't have to worry about, well, if we, the hardcore fans, yeah, and those are the, that's the vocal minority of people that are just very, very difficult to please, may point and say, well, why did you do that if the comics did something different? Still, if it's a good idea, or if you think James Mangold or whoever the writers are, it's a good idea, great. So again, two different ends of the Star Wars timeline are going to be explored, and somewhere in the middle, Dave Filoni, who is kind of, was George Lucas's heir to Star Wars creativity, who has who created helped create the Star Wars um, Clone Wars cartoon, Star Wars Rebel cartoon, helped create with John Favreau the Mandalorian. Dave Filoni is helming the Ahsoka Tano show. There will be a movie that will tie together. They're calling it the Dave Filoni verse. The shows, basically the TV shows that he was either a part of, had a hand in, or created himself. There's going to be a galaxy-wide event that, a movie, that'll tie together what's going on in The Mandalorian. What happened in the Book of Bubba Fett, even though that wasn't really that good. Uh, the animated series Rebels, because some of those characters are going to appear in the upcoming Ahsoka show. The Ahsoka show, and I'm not sure about uh, definitely not the Acolyte because that's taking place in the past. Maybe tie into the skeleton crew as well. Not sure. But what was discussed was this Filo this movie by Dave Filoni will not come out for six or seven years. So you're talking what? 2029, 2030. And that could and that could push. I think this is the last of the three movies that will release. I, I do think episode 10, which is not called episode 10, but the Ray Skywalker movie will be first. Don't ask me when I think it's going to come out. Then I think the Dawn of the Jedi movie, 
going back 25,000 years in time, then this Filoni movie. I am not sure how many seasons a show like The Mandalorian, we're in season three now, is going to get. Ahsoka, Rebels is done. It takes two years for basically a Star Wars show to come out. So if The Mandalorian, let's say The Mandalorian gets a fourth, a fifth, say five seasons, that means season three is in 2023, season four is in 2025, and season five is in 2027. Then maybe two years after that, you get Dave Filoni's movie that ties it all together. And then maybe the Ahsoka series, and they haven't announced if it's one season or two seasons yet. It's coming out this year, 2023, and then maybe there's one more season. Maybe it's 2024 or 2025 that it comes out. So that tie it together movie, which is really filling the gaps between episode six, the return of the Jedi and episode seven, the force awakens, even though it's not including any of the classic characters, Luke, Leia, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian. I don't think C-3PO or R2-D2 will be in it. Certainly not the emperor, certainly not Darth Vader, but it is giving fans that want to know what the heck happened for 30 years between Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back, these shows and this movie will tell us, and I am excited for that. And the last thing that I wanted to discuss, so, you know, Ewan McGregor was at Celebration. He plays Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ian McDermott was there. He's played the Emperor since Return of the Jedi, since 1983. He's been playing this character for almost 40 years. Uh you know, interesting to see, you know, Anthony Daniels, who's played C-3PO in all nine movies. And I think in Rogue One, he had a, a brief cameo. The Other than Jake Lloyd, who played young Anakin Skywalker, and it's not his fault that that's the route that George Lucas wanted to go. And it's not Jake Lloyd's fault that Star Wars fans that grew up with the original trilogy did not want to see the exploits of a little kid and George Lucas isn't the greatest scriptwriter in the world and certainly isn't the greatest director in the world and doesn't direct human beings very well. Hayden Christensen, who played Anakin Skywalker in Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Anakin and Darth Vader in Episode 3, came back and reprised his role as Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series from 2022. He was at Star Wars Celebration, and the response that he got from the fans there, I have to say, was beyond heartwarming. Now, Hayden Christensen had a career before Star Wars, and I actually looked it up on Internet Movie Database. He's done just as many things after 2005's Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3, as he's done, as he did before episode two attack of the clones. So he's had a pretty consistent career in terms of number of projects, but there was a time when his performance of Anakin Skywalker, especially in attack of the clones and, and almost him as a, an actor or a person was reviled, you know, and again, he's shown chops to be an actor. He was in the 2001 movie life as a house and he was up for a sag he was nominated by the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes as Best Supporting Actor in a Movie. Hayden Christensen can act. George Lucas can't direct humans, and he can't write anything worthwhile for humans to deliver. And it's not to say that any 
no Star Wars performance is going to be worthy of a Golden Globe or an Emmy or anything like, like we know that. But I think everybody watching the prequel trilogy can say with a straight face that the acting could have been better. But getting back to Hayden Christensen, the response that he got, the cheers every time he spoke or said something positive, um, the moderator who was asking questions, he was, and I think the moderator says something like, you know, I'm so happy that you came back to celebration this year. You know, it's so great to see you get your flowers after, you know, your, you deserve them after your Star Wars career. And that, that, that's so true. I don't know why in, so since 2005, between 2005 and 2023, that's 18 years that. Hayden Christensen was not involved with Star Wars, although he was, again, Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker in 2022's Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And I guess maybe it was that show that rekindled the appreciation for what Hayden Christensen brought to the franchise. But to see the fans, like he he was getting choked up, like he was on the verge of tears. And I've, I've never met Hayden Christensen. He doesn't need my kudos or supporter and he's still a very wealthy he's an actor he's still a very wealthy person who was in the, in the star wars franchise and is still in it i guess technically because he's going to reappear in the ahsoka series that's coming up in august but to see him showered with that kind of affection from a fan base that is so hard to please that is so vitriolic that could be so toxic at times and no matter how much i'm sure he ignored it he heard it somewhere whether he was, you know, in 2003 or four or six or seven after episode two and three walking down the street, there might've been some fans that were asking at pictures from him. And some fans were probably jerks. That's just the nature of being in such a high profile franchise with, although they might be some of the best fans on the planet. They have some of the worst fans. Star Wars has some of the worst fans on the, on the planet. And we want to use the Star Wars room in the galaxy as well, but to see, the appreciation and the love that he got during that interview. I don't want to say that I got choked up, but I, I felt so good for him because I'm sure, I don't know if he ever regretted playing Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader between 2005 and 2021, but he was vindicated or he must've felt some sort of satisfaction that he's accepted now and he's, beyond accepted and it was just really really cool to see and if you want to see any of that go on starwars.com i think they're still replaying they were live streaming um each day of, of celebration and this wound up being on day three on sunday towards the end maybe the last hour last 45 minutes where hayden christensen came out and it was just it's really cool to see any sort of a i mean it was a redemption story the saga of anakin skywalker is a redemption story started out good taken away from his mother didn't want to lose his wife, got scared, turned to Vader, found his son, killed the emperor, found redemption. And I guess in, in a way, Hayden Christensen is acting him out, went through a similar type of redemption story as well. So kudos to him. So that concludes the 49ers and Star Wars section of today's podcast. I want to thank you for listening. We will be back on Thursday with the plus section where we're going to be, where we'll be talking about, among other things, Odell Beckham Jr. signing with the Ravens. What does that mean for Lamar Jackson's future with the team? The Dallas Mavericks, you may have heard last week, through their last two games because of draft positioning. Zion Williamson hasn't been on the court in three months due to a hamstring strain. He's not going to be in the play-in tournament. That's ridiculous. And I'm going to review the Fox sci-fi series Fringe 
from the early 2010s. It's been on HLN Network. If you have that, I suggest watching it. Fantastic uh, sci-fi series. And the comic series Blackest Night, an eight-issue run about zombies in the DC universe starring Green Lantern and others. So I hope you come back for Thursday for the plus section again. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a happy, healthy, and safe next couple days. Take care.